Welcome back, beloved listeners. This is Octavia's Parables, our podcast where we are reading Octavia E. Butler classics chapter by chapter. This episode is chapter eight of Wild Seed. I am your host, Adrian Marie Brown, and I'm here with my co-host, Toshi Regan, the one and only. And Toshi, you made my day today. I woke up this morning and I needed to hear you singing and you were singing and it was the best thing ever. And I just want people like if you're ever having a hard day, you're like, I don't know how to get started. Just go to Toshi's page and find whatever most recent video of her singing (laughs) is there. And I promise it'll get you correct. So so here we are in the 1740s. (laughs) <laughs> and we are heading into chapter eight. Oh, wait, are there announcements? Do you have announcements? Uh, I don't have any. I'm ready to get down. Yeah, I feel similarly. <laughs> like I'm like, I don't know. Life is life continues. That's the announcement. Keeps going. Yeah. Um, so before we hop into the content of this chapter, I do want to give a trigger warning for this. So we're in some complicated territory for people who have any child sex abuse history. There's a rapist, there's an abusive relationship. That's what's happening. And we want to make sure that y'all know that as we're diving into this. The whole book is in this territory, but there's certain chapters where it really intensifies. And this is one that's pretty intense. So I just wanted to Mm -hmm. give you that that, uh, gentle warning. So tell us the story. Yeah, it's a rough story. And basically, y'all, if you listen to chapter seven, yeah. you know that we start off with Anyamu's daughter, Nweke. She is in transition. She has special powers. She is able to hear the thoughts and be inside of, of others' experiences. And, you know, uh, very much share like from Lauren Alamina. But Lauren, I don't think her thoughts. So... She yeah. actually can hear thoughts and feel what, what people are experiencing. So she is at her transition point, And now it's where, you know, you're just sitting around and trying to take care of her and get her through it. And so Anyan, this, this chapter opens with Anyanwu and Dora sitting by their daughter's bedside as she transitions. And this is a very, like, kind of physical emotional experience and then also the the heightened thing around what's happening in terms of what she might be picking up wherever she's picking it up and so she's in a lot of pain and Anyanwu is in that that voice of just whispering to her to to hold on and get through it and to not die because if she does that she'll she'll make it through and she'll I don't know that she'll be all right but she won't she won't be in transition anymore and Doro and Anyamu's relationship is so bad. It's, it's, it's basically like if she's the closest thing to a living enemy that he has, that's how it's described. And she's doing, she's doing that thing where, you know, she's living, she's existing, she's doing what he asked her to do. She's not, you know, refusing, but she is like, you and me, ain't, we ain't tight. Yeah. And also that thing that will hang over when your relationships get really bad. You know, what's that thing? Like one day something's going to happen. I yes. It's not now, but it will happen eventually. So like, yes. get ready for it when it does. So they are always arguing. 
They don't have any like regular communication. They're either not communicating or they're battling in some way. So for all of the people around them, they just like it if they don't communicate and they just be in each other's presence. But can't nobody tell Dora anything. So, of course, he is, you know, challenging her skills. And she's like, I bit the child. The child is strong. (laughs) She'll be fine. (laughs) 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 I want this person in my life so bad. (laughs) I bit her. I bit her. You know. She's fine. She's, you know, there's no death around her. Everything's fine. She just needs to go through it. So he doesn't really like to watch the transitions, you know. And so, again, I just want to point out that he doesn't have much to offer people. So when somebody is struggling, when something is, is weird, when there's something you can't understand, he just pretty much is like, okay, well, y'all take care of it. I'll be back mm-hmm. when it's done. And so yeah. she just, you know, she critiques him saying that like you oh you like to make all these things but you don't like to watch them when they have to go through their transitions and and then he's easily provoked since i been seeing your ancestors transitions and i will be seeing your descendants transitions when you're dead and you know turn to dust and all of that very sensitive guy (laughs) so but the big story is uh, now we really get to understand what happened with Nweke's father. So just to to take you back a little bit in case you didn't listen to um, episode seven. Um, but you should always don't... listen to these episodes in order. <laughs> these these actually do build <laughs> well, on each these other. These wild seed ones, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I would say you might want to run back and go listen to that if you haven't. But just in case. So this man, Thomas, is Nweke's father. Doro took Thomas's body after Anyamu got pregnant, but he has claimed the child as his daughter Mm. and he had sex with, with his daughter in the last chapter. Mm. And so this is where we're at. And we start to understand where all of Anyamu's like, why her, her line with him has shifted so severely. It already was shifting. It would be enough. Everything that's happened you know, but this is the chapter that I, I read and I was like, can we just call him a rapist at this yes. point? Because yes. he's just doing everything he wants to everybody. So I'm supposed to put this note that I have to read this this particular thing. Okay. So and this is to do with like, you know, his killings. So his killings, his casual abuse when he was not courting or his open contempt for any belief of hers that did not con- concur with his, the blows for which she could not retaliate and from which she could not flee, the acts she must perform for him no matter what her beliefs. She had lain with him as a man while he wore the body of a woman. She had not been able to become erect naturally. He was a beautiful woman, but he repelled her. Nothing he did gives her pleasure. Nothing. So this is the state of Anyanwu. Yeah. That's like she's like I'm I'm done. I've done all the things and she can't do anything about it. So she gets these kids, you know, she has these babies, she loves the babies and that's her only pleasure. So just everything that goes on just know that that she is not operating on a spectrum of like this makes me happy. This makes me sad. This makes me this. This makes me that. She's just like, this is terrible. And I have these children. I always love children. I would always take care of my children. And so while they're in this state of Mweke's 
um, transition. She, you know, she's giving Doro the business. She don't care. And we get to go back into time a little bit. And what we find out is that Doro and her relationship has been deteriorating for a very long time. And so he does these nasty things, you know, basically to punish her. Yeah. And he's trying not to kill her. I don't think he would ever kill her, but it's over her head that it could happen. And again, she does not know that if she turns into an animal that he can't see her. So this is a real threat. Yeah. Um, he takes her to this, this like disgusting little cabin in the middle of the woods. It's filthy. It's nasty. And there is this nasty white man in this cabin named Thomas. And he is disgusting. He's like, he ain't had a bath in a hundred days. His his cabin is filthy. He doesn't eat food. He drinks beer and rum all the time. He he needs like everything. He's yeah. got sores and scabs and everything. There's vermin all over the place. There's fleas. There's it's just a horrific place. And he's like, you sleep with him and get pregnant by him. And so <laughs> this is yeah. And this is a flashback just to make yes. sure, you know, folks are following. Yes, we go, we're going backwards and yeah. we're going backwards to go forward. But this is yeah. this is the story. And this is this is a, a foundational story, I think, to where I we're headed. I think so, too. Absolutely. Yeah, this, is, this is like a thing. So this drunk, you know, like very sorry being is, you know, in a rage. And, you know, soon as he like sees Anyanwu, you know, our beautiful goddess, he calls her the N-word and is like, you didn't bring this over here for me. And he was like, you know, I'm not doing that. Like, (laughs) just and I cannot say enough about how Octavia describes like the state of this man. It's like horrible. (laughs) Like, like, yeah. It's, it's the bad. low point. It's the low He's, point. It's the it's it's like, the low point, and then go like a step below the low point. Because exactly. not only is he like not okay mentally, and then not only is he physically like disgusting. Again, he's like being really racist. He's being really awful, and then his his whole house is is a hot mess. And so she knows right away what's going on that he is like you know punishing her, and he's staying hanging out to see her be with him you know, and just antagonize her and enjoy like this. Eventually he goes, but Anyanwu is just like, okay, really? Like, (laughs) she she just is like, what am I going to do? I mean, she knows what to do. And so, you know, she immediately starts to look at him and just be like, you are sick. Yes. Like, you need a healing, you know? And so I was like, they get acquainted. And... He's in such bad shape. She just is like, we have to do something with you. And you have to eat some food. Like you need to stop drinking and you need to get your body is like in terrible condition. He smells awful. He's a hot mess. That's all I can I can say. And then he starts like on the whole thing, like, get away from me, you witch, you know, like all of this stuff. And she's like, we're all witches. Like we're all different. We're all have these gifts. And his his gift is um, he's one of the, another one of the people who can like um, hear others' thoughts and experiences, but right. he's he's living in this forest by himself, 
because he is just trying to stay as far away from people as possible. He doesn't want to, you know, and he has a pretty long range, so it doesn't quite keep him, you know, safe, but it keeps him safer than if he was like in a city or a town. Yeah. So he's, he's out there abusing himself because, you know, he can't, you know, deal with things. And so Anyangwu solves the, begins to solve the food issue because he didn't have any. So she turns herself into a leopard and she goes for a hunt. (sighs) That's so good. She goes for a hunt. And she catches. Go, go, go. Yeah, she just gets like, I'm going to get food. So she goes and she catches a a deer and she brings it back. He's passed out. And by the time he wakes up, she has like, you know, skinned the deer and done all of the amazing things and like cooked it and is making like some beautiful food. And he is just like, I don't want any of that. I don't want this. I think Doro has some of it too. I think he's still hanging around. But she's cooked the meal. She's done all of these things. And he's like, I don't want that. You're going to poison me. You're going to do terrible things to me. And she's just like, get over yourself. You have to eat. And so he's like, how did you get that? Like, what did you use? Did you use a gun? Did you, you know, he can't figure it out. And she's like, oh, no, I just turned myself into a leopard and went for a hunt. He's like, nah, that's not it. You must have used a gun. You must have done this. And she's like, I'll show you. So she transforms, you know, in front of him. And of course, like he is like, I'm not ready for this world. And she is smart because he does have a gun. And she kind of puts herself in between the gun and him so he can't shoot her. But of course, he tries. The first thing he does, tries to get the gun to kill her in this, in her shape. And she's like, nah, that's not going to happen. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cat paw away no, she's you. like i need you she does she was a cat paw <laughs> and she's like i need you to eat this meat like yeah. you know like i i prepared food i need you to eat it and he's like i'm not eating anything and then she gives him a, a little sound like growl like no you are gonna eat and he's like no i'm not gonna eat but eventually she's like you know she gets him to calm down and then he pets her and she gives him a little purr and he's still resistant to food. But then she does. She's like, here, you're going to eat this food. And mm-hmm. eventually he does. And that becomes a transforming moment for him because he hasn't had food in a long time. Mm. The food almost brings him like the nourishment of the food takes him a step up from where he was. Yeah. And he kind of can can be real about what is happening. So they they start to have a conversation about being together and he says you know well do you think you could be white and then she's like why why would I do that and she says I'm content if I have to be white someday to survive I will be white if I have to be a leopard to hunt and kill I will be a leopard if I have to travel quickly across the land I will become a large bird if I have to cross the sea I'll become a fish and she smiled a little bit a dolphin, perhaps. And this actually made me feel so good because I was starting to think maybe this is the seed of her putting together her escape. I'm really hopeful for that. And he asked, would she become white for him? And she was like, why, you know, no, but he is thinking about his wife. So he was married. He had this, this woman, he really loved her, but he didn't tell her about his gifts. And so he was not able to to control his gifts around her. So mm-hmm. he 
he would get confused. Like he would hear her in her mind. She wasn't saying something out loud, but he talked to her as if she said it out loud. And of course, eventually that freaked her out. And she was like, I got to leave. And his wife left him. And and that's the beginning of his whole devastation. And so she, this is a kind of remarkable gift that Anyamu has. I, I can't tell. I think at the center of her being, Adrian, maybe this is a question you have too, or maybe you could talk about this now if it's not a question. But when you meet a racist person that's like just called you out your name so bad and is so desperately in need of help and you're inside of a situation where you're going to have to be with them, like you can't get get away from them, you know, she seems to easily know that she has to take steps in his healing. Yes. That's the first place she goes to. Like she overstands all his, his vileness, his disgustingness, the way he's treated himself, the way he's yes. talked to her, everything. And she's like, well, step one is you have to eat. That's, you know, and I and also thought that was interesting that that was step one. I mean, this is... Anyanwu is the inspiration. There's a a line that I wrote or said a few years ago that healing, to look at something so broken and and see the wholeness still in it, to see that there is wholeness still available, like there's a healing perspective there that takes your ego to the, you know, it's like, oh, this isn't about me. The way that you're behaving is not about me. And I feel like Alok, the gender abolitionist, activist, I feel like Alok does this similar move where when someone comes at them like, oh, you are disgusting to me, you're you're hairy, mm-hmm. but you want to be feminine or whatever. And Alok's response is like, there's something in you that you're working through that makes it hard for you to see the beauty in me, that there's nothing in me. I know my beauty. I know my right to exist. I see, I know how to see myself, but That's right. maybe you need some healing because something is keeping you from seeing yourself. And I feel like that that is what Anyanwu here is channeling. It's like, oh, the fact that you're in this place, at this state, looking at me and trying to talk to me this way, there's so much that needs healing in you. And she just gets to work. She gets to work. She gets to work. So I love this conversation and it inspires me. It inspires me. And in this the more that they talk, the more that he is opening up about what his journey has been and what yeah. and decisions that he's made. And you see this this transformation. And it's also something where he he has something to offer. It's like he he understands his relationship to Doro so well. Yes. There's a mention around, you know, my penis still works, you know, yes. and that that's and he understands that that's really important. Like oh, he's yeah. alive. Because he has these gifts and he can still produce because we back in olden days. So it's not about taking samples and all of that stuff. It's like you need to be able to do what you do or you're not any good at, at him. And so he starts to apologize for the way he introduced himself to her and the names he called her. And she says, um, you know, she said, you said I was a dog and a black bitch. Yep. And <laughs> and she's like, I almost kill, I almost killed you. Yep. You know, she said hit him, but I'm like, she almost killed him. So he is starting to evolve into his personality. And he eventually is like, I'm going to go and wash myself. 
So he leaves the house to go and wash himself. Yeah. And she like does everything. And Yanwu does everything. She's like yeah. cleaning the house. She's she's making everything better as as much as you can. She makes a broom. She does all of this stuff. She's incredible. Um, she's incredible. She's like superpowers, but still they're not limitless. So she's doing a lot of work. And when he comes back, he still like has the like same clothes because he doesn't have any other clothes. Yeah. And you can more see what his his problems are. Like he's just physically his physical problems. And she's like, I need to start on these sores. Like you're a hot mess. And then he gets an erection right away. He's like, you know, and then she says, okay, you want pleasure first and then we'll do the sores. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, but then he's like, nah, you should take care. You should take care of this. And so she's like rubbing his shoulders and she's just like seeing kind of the state of his being. And, you know, his heart starts to unfold. Yes. And he's like trying to move their relationship past this like breeding relationship. Yeah. And he's like all of the women like leave him very quickly. And it's obvious why they would, because anybody that was sent to him in the state he was, was being punished in multiple ways. So he's like, you know, but can you stay longer? Like, would you stay longer? And then she explains to him that Doro knows how quickly she can conceive and she says, I will take, I will take your seed and leave, but I'll, I'll, I won't leave you today. And, you know, he is, I don't think he's very happy with that, but he understands it. Yeah. And then they, they are together. And then Doro comes hours later and he bring, he's bringing food and sugar and coffee and cornmeal and salt, and eggs and butter and dry peas and fresh fruit and vegetables and blankets and all kinds of things that, you know, that they need. And I should say that Anyawu found the, the cabin so nasty, she was like, I would just burn it down and build it over again if I could. Yes. Like, that's the state of things. So here comes Doro, and he's got all of the goods. And, you know, he's feeling like Doro feels. And Anyawu does not like seeing Doro. It just feels weird. He's like, kind of like, I, I came here to bring you the stuff you asked for. And <laughs> she is just like... Mm, I don't like you being here. And this is why they're for one of the reasons why they're forever going to have issues. You know, Doro made her go to this disgusting man who was very broken, who had stopped eating food, who was living on alcohol and just like his body refusing to die. And he made her go to him and she went to him and she got to the place of spirit and, you know, evolution past all of the things where, you know, someone is being seen and they move past their hatred, which they were just using because it was accessible and they start to want to feel better. They start to be interested in something else. They start to become strong. They start to heal. They start to find balance. This is only in a little bit of time. And so she says she is now navigating that Doro can see what she has done to this man. That this man is a completely different being. So if Doro thought, like, you know, what's going to happen is I'm going to make her have sex with this horrible human being. Yes. And then she's going to be mad at me. And then we're going to get into it. If he Mm -hmm. thought that was going to happen, like he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so when he comes back, 
there's a beautiful Thomas. <laughs> he yeah. still got his sores, but Thomas has got like a golden light around him. Like yes. he's been considered as a being and Doro cannot deal with it. And so immediately it's this thing where when Doro thinks somebody's at the end of the road that he takes their body, he just like gets rid of them. And there's this, this thing about like how he takes women just as much as he takes men, Yes, you know? And so she knows that he is coming to get Thomas and she immediately just was like, well, I'm done. I'm pregnant. Let's go. You know, let's get Mm -hmm. out. And Doro's, (laughs) he is not, he's not taking it. And, you know, Thomas kind of is not aware, but like starts to understand like that this is the the energy and the vibe is changing. And um, Doro starts to head for him. Anyangwu grabs his arm and it's like, no, let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just mm-hmm. go. Let's just go. Let's just go. Mm-hmm. Literally, there's no reason to kill this man. Like, none. Except for to punish Anyangwu. Exactly. And so she grabs Doro and she puts him in a hold and she screams at Thomas to run. And Thomas starts to, t- starts to take off. And Doro's like, they're both very strong, but... And Yangwu puts him in a grip where he can't get away. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, run, 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 run. She's like, he's not going to kill me. Run, 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 run. And he's he's running, but he doesn't, he actually turns around and he's like, mm-hmm. he's going to kill you. Like, look at him. And what happens is, remember when they first started traveling together yeah. on the continent that Anyamu became aware of like keeping um, Doro in a, a good physical state because yes. she was the only human near him. And if he got scared or if he felt he was going to die, he would jump into her body. Yes. So she was always watching out for him. She was always making sure he didn't get too sick. She was always kind of looking at the territory, making sure he didn't fall, things things that would surprise him or scare him. So Doro, Doro can jump into a next body, even if it's very far away. Yes. He just needs to sense that there is one. And when he's in crowds, Doro has to touch the specific body that he wants. Otherwise, he, he could just jump into Go anything. Through. Yeah. Yeah. So when Anyanwu holds him down from what he wants, it triggers the actual Doro, which is not these bodies. It triggers the the spirit. It's almost like the spirit was getting ready to jump and she jumped on the body and said, no. And Thomas realizes that. Mm -hmm. He realizes it and he comes back and he's like, it's okay. Mm. He's like, he can take me. And it's a profound situation. Doro went too far and she can see it. His eyes are different, like things are happening. And he takes Thomas and he punishes Anyanwu. Um, when Doro shows up, he has a body. He has another body with him that's dead. So he punishes Anyanwu. He makes her put the body in the ground. He makes her dig a grave. He's like, dig it with your hands. He's he's just, he's mm. he is at his worst state. Yeah. And he is like, you know, it's not really language for it. It's just that I think she's in danger that whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if he can't figure out a degrading thing for her to do, the next thing would be just to kill her. Yes. So he's just making her do terrible work. 
it really reminds me of when the the people of Acorn were enslaved and they yes. just had to do they just had to do things and he's making her do terrible work in order to punish her for daring to save Thomas to disobey all of these things and basically when she's pleading she is like agreeing to do everything she is just pleading pleading please don't kill this man please I'll do this I'll do this and you know there's something in that thinking about everything that Anyangwu has seen and experienced in her long life what makes her care so much for living for the living like she really cares about specifically humans and living and then she will kill like an animal but it's a it's a purpose for her like we're gonna eat it's not something she does just for fun and this little wretched man that was like calling her a black bitch (laughs) the day before she tried to save with all her might and almost got killed and it is really really This is just a very, like, heartbreaking chapter. And, of course, in the, you know, tradition of Ike Turner, (laughs) now that you have completely humiliated, you know, this queen, he's like, now you're going to go to bed with me. And so this is how this chapter ends. It is very, very sad. It is very, it's just no other way to deal with it than to just, you know, very much feel for Anyamu's future and for the future of all of these people. And she she goes into the cabin with them. She's he's in the body of Thomas mm-hmm. and she says that she didn't weep because she thought she thought that that would please him. But mm-hmm. afterward, for the first time in centuries, she was uncontrollably sick. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a huge chapter for Anyamu, it is one where it sets up the next stage of her life. And I actually thought, you know, the arrival to the new world and the like, no, you're going to be my son's wife chapter where I was like, well, that's going to be, she's like, but is this, Yeah, is this? Yeah. And I'm so grateful that it's this in a way because the first section of it, you know, there's this still romantic dynamic that's happening between them. It's like, oh, maybe there can still be this love. And I feel like jumping to this, it's like, no, there can't. Like, like that's not something that he's got in his rule book or his playbook or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So he has something, some deep connection to Anyanwu, but it can't be love because that can't coexist with this kind of abuse. And I'm glad that it's just very clear, you know, that she's making it very clear to us. So yeah, I have questions. I should say one thing is, because I didn't say all the things is, um, I think the chapter before and this one, you yeah. get a little bit of an understanding of how much Isaac and Anyangwu are used as breeders. Oh, yes. So they're, they're oh, yes. both, like they're a couple and they have their own children and everything, but they are both sent to places by Doro on the regular. Yes. Especially Isaac. And then she she's having like, you know, she's carrying children. So probably she's carrying children. And also like Doro comes back in a body that he wants to breed her with. And, yep. you know, like all of that is happening. So, so all of this, all of that is happening all the time, all those 50 years of time and, yes. and everything. So. So 
there's a lot here. And um, that first little piece is in Weke, and then we also get to to really go deep into what's happening with Nweke's father, Thomas. So I think the first question I have is, what do we learn about transitions in this chapter? What kind of support these gifted people need when they're coming into their powers? And mm. what happens when people don't receive that support, right? Like this is this chapter really juxtaposes those two things of like, if you're in a community where people know to hold you and guide you and teach you how to use your powers, it's still this you know pretty intense, violent experience, but you're held in it. Um, and if you're not, you can end up like a Thomas, right? So I always think it's really brilliant that Octavia tells it in this way, where we see what's happening with Nweke, and then we go back and we understand what happened with Thomas and how that broke Anyanwu mm-hmm. in a major way. And, you know, we talked about this a little mid-chapter, but what makes it possible for Anyanwu to see someone's wounds, even when they're lashing out at her? And. Right. You know, I think a lot of healers have that capacity. <laughs> you know, I always think of that as part of the doula work. At some point, there's going to be that moment of like, yeah, you know, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. That's part of what's happening right now. And, you know, do you see this as a capacity you have? Is it a capacity you would be interested in? Could you develop it? Is it survival? Is it compassion? You know, mm. is it healing? What do you make of her capacity to do that? Um, and the wisdom of it, or the foolishness of it, you know? The next question I have is, what is Octavia teaching us about pleasure and abuse here? Right? So there's these pleasurable relationships that keep unfolding, and then there's this there's this functionality, you know, that mm-hmm. Anyan was able to drop into for the sake of the breeding that she's having to do. But here we see her for the first time, like, I can't actually experience any pleasure. I can't experience it, you know, if I become a man and he becomes a woman, I can't experience it with him in a new body. I can't experience it with him. The way he harms her, it makes it impossible for her to feel pleasure from him, which feels really important. And it always makes me so, I will say that that piece where it's like, oh, she, she becomes a man and he becomes a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always like, yes, that would be so fun. That would be so amazing. But then everything that could be amazing for them and such an enjoyable experience, he destroys that because the power is more important than the pleasure for him. Always. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. you you know, referred to last time to in a conversation of, this is one of his first long-term relationships. Yep. And he doesn't know how to act. He literally doesn't know how he to act. He doesn't know how to act. He keeps he keeps ruining it. And so... Yep. Um, and just as, as clear as you can be, get clear on what is it you understand that Doro most wants and needs from Anyanwu. Mm. Right? What do you think it is that he's wanting from her, needing from her? And can you imagine her ever giving that to him? You know, is this an impasse? Is this a slow breaking down? Or is this, is she missing something in terms of what it is he needs? And then this question, this whole section, we're really understanding that they are the closest thing that they have to enemies. It's the closest thing Doro's ever had to an enemy is who Ayanu is to him now. Mm -hmm. And so my question for our listeners is, have you ever been in a relationship with someone who felt also like an enemy? No. Um, 
because I know I, I know a few of us have. And what advice might you have for Anyanwu from that wisdom, from that surviving, from that place? Mm. Yeah. I think that because of the power dynamics at play inside of patriarchy and capitalism and so many other things, yeah. I think that a lot of relationships end up this way, where some trauma never gets healed, and then it shows up in the relationship as a desire for worship, as a desire for total power, as a desire for something that is not actually possible or fair as a demand. Hmm. And it plays out into an abusive dynamic. So, I was just thinking about like what parts of ourselves we don't learn or we don't we don't actually see because and and how mm. long it takes to actually you know see them it's, it's sometimes i'm just like duh that you had that all the time like why are you just seeing it now and that's right you know i think about her like not able to see her escape yes you know sometimes i think um from some of my younger friends i've learned like i have such strong values and such strong ways of doing things and through collaborating with some of my younger friends I started to ask myself you know what is how you do it but what if you didn't (laughs) like you know and this is the way you would usually go but what if you went another way like what would that mean (laughs) like you know what how would how did like you really like this but you can't have it if you want to have to have this so what if you just had that like yeah. I just start asking myself these questions. It's so refreshing. You know, it's, I'm yes. like, oh, I did not do this 10 yes. years ago. Yeah, I just like, to give yourself some other mm-hmm. options. And I mean, I actually think, you know, that's the advice that I have for Anyanwu is you have other options that you're not even realizing, you know, that you think the safest, best option is to be in proximity to this person and to jump through every hoop that he mm-hmm. offers up. And you've been jumping for 50 years in close proximity to this man. And you have this other option, right? That is fundamental to who you are, right? Mm -hmm. But in some ways, it's like you can't tell what your options are until you step away. Right. I think there's a lot there. I think there's a lot there. And I do think it's like for most people, I'm like, you have so many other possibilities here. I always think of the eddy, like the little stank, stagnant pool on the side of the, you know, mm. water, right? Where it's like you can get stuck there and think that that's a river or that that's the ocean. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, this is just, I got stuck on the side somewhere and I need to like get myself back out to the main body of water here and keep moving. Or some of her traditions, I think. She's mm. so such a d- traditional person. Yes. So she values her traditions or their ancient traditions. Yeah. And, you know, I think about like in our political realm, I remember when AOC first came out and all of these black women I, I know <laughs> were on um, the the Facebooks going, she needs to sit down and, and listen mm-hmm. and she needs to sit down and learn. And I was mm-hmm. just like, really, y'all? I was mm-hmm. I was having fights. I was like, really? I was like, but what would she be listening to? Like <laughs> <laughs> the things that yeah. you don't like people to say. But it was totally she triggered that like, the, the youngsters being too loud and, and walking right. into the house loud and not, you know, listening to their elders situation. And I'm like, but do we like these elders? Like, look who our like, elders are. Yeah, these aren't, these aren't the no. elders. These are like, like, yeah, the no. <laughs> so, yes. Interesting. I appreciate that too, because I'm like, there is a way 
you know, in the long arc of this story, there is a way that it's like what generations can realize is different from what you can always realize in one life. That's oh, right. sorry, is <laughs> different than what you can realize in a lifetime sometimes. Yeah. So, okay, so I have a, a few more questions here. One is around Thomas. So Thomas, I think, is such an interesting journey. Like, we get to see this person who, at first glance, we're just like, okay, you don't want to be in this place with this person. He's throwing everything at you he can. And then over a very short period of time, he becomes someone that we are like, protect him. Don't let him die. You know, we see Anyanwu in that place. Don't let him die. Like, mm-hmm. I'll risk my own life, you know, to protect his. So what does Thomas show us about the human capacity to adapt and what the conditions are that create those kind of adaptations in mm-hmm. a belief system? And then also, what does Thomas show us about loneliness, right? When you have food and shelter, but you don't have anyone who can actually be connected to you as you truly are, mm-hmm. right? Really draw out some lessons there. And again, always bringing it back into your own life. Are there people now that you have written off the way that you might have written off Thomas upon first meeting him? Are there people that you know are so lonely that they acting out? Mm-hmm. What's possible? And then my final question here is how do you punish someone who can transform any conditions you put them in? Mm. So I think that that piece, right, where it's like Anyanwu, he plants her here to punish her and she creates a new condition. She creates a condition that is survivable and bearable. So then he has to figure out a different way because he's so committed to punishment. Right? And maybe that's the other question of like, what would have looked like if Doro was almost all the things that Doro is, but just not obsessed with punishment and power? Yeah. Right. If he was just like, I just want to grow people who have gifts, you know, what what would shift with that punitive piece being taken out? Mm. So tender times with Octavia's words. Yeah, yeah. So that is Wild Seed Chapter 8, my loves. We are going to take a week off from posting the show so that we can rest and we will be back in two weeks. And this is Octavia's Parables, hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and my beloved co-host, Toshi Regan. Our producer is Kat Aaron. Our show art is from Krista Franklin, and we're transcribed by Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter at Oparables. Though we're not, we're not active, super active there, but you can find things there. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like, dang, I need to go update the Twitter. Um, (laughs) You know, I think you can find us even more likely on our Instagram pages. Like we'll post things about the show. We should have done an old parables Instagram because we're always on Instagram. Should we just change? We can change. We should do it. We're like, we both love it. I mean, we can keep the Twitter page there, but we're always on IG. I feel like we need to have someone else manage the Twitter who does twits. (laughs) Neither one of us do that shit. All right. Um, Okay. Well, we'll we'll figure that out. So you can also become a supporter. Become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash oparables. And you can find the transcripts for every single episode at readingoctavia.com. Oh, yeah. Music for Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan. 
and the Silver Song, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, sung by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh, marvelous. All yeah. right. Love you. See y'all next time. Take care. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow.